The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. That's correct. That's how you're making your money. Well, and if you think about it too, you know, finding off-market distressed properties, you have to dig through a lot of dirt and sift through a lot of dirt to get good deals. And the buyers who are fixing and flipping or buying rental properties for buy and hold purposes, they honestly don't want to do all that grunt work to find deals. They just want a deal handed to them on a silver platter, right. to be honest with you. Yeah. And in they're not going to pay a price that doesn't make sense to them. So they don't care if I make... 5,000 right. or 25,000. Yeah, exactly. You can't wholesale a deal for 500,000 if it's worth 450 and you paid 450 for it. Nobody's going to exactly. do that. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, and the buyers want the deals handed to them on a silver platter and so the wholesalers who have the energy time to do some grunt work, you know, and when I first got started I was driving for dollars, which is where you drive around and look for properties that got like right, boarded right. up windows and you handwrite letters. I was putting out the bandit signs. You guys have all seen the we buy houses. I was doing all that stuff. Um, you know, those first 9 months in business. And then ultimately partnered with uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Bill Allen, who we kind of scaled. The, he had the marketing and systems done, so he was generating a lot of leads. And I had the sales side, so we really scaled the businesses up and ended up doing a couple hundred deals a year um, for wholesale, wholesale, yeah. wholesale deals. Yeah, yeah. So when you see those signs on a telephone pole that says "We buy ugly houses" and things like that, those are probably wholesalers. That's correct. Yeah, and they're either looking to build their buyers list or they're looking for sellers to call them. That was actually where I got my first deal. It was a, a little bandit sign. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so it, it's kind of a way to not a circumvent, but it's kind of a way to get started in real estate without having to get your license to list properties, right? I mean, that's correct. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hey, my name is Chad King and I'm a commercial real estate investor. And I can't wait to sit down and talk with Mitch about all things commercial real estate success, entrepreneurship, business life. Can't wait to dive in. All right, Chad. So thanks for hooking up with me on the show. Um, 
I told you my wife is a Seminole, so you're a graduate of Florida State, I know. So we're big college football people, I guess. Um, yeah. So that definitely perked my interest before I read your bio. I'm like, oh, you went to Florida State. Well, I'll definitely have him on the show then. So, um, okay. But I know we're going to talk about your background. I know you, you have a unique background because you have a pretty good background in sales. You've started some other businesses, but you are pretty heavy in the real estate you know, investing side. So maybe we go backwards. How, you know, would you, I don't even know what you studied at Florida State. You can share all those things and take us through, and then we'll talk about all good things real estate. Make sure. sense? Makes sense. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Yeah, I got a, I mean, I got degrees in finance and accounting at Florida okay. State. So I was a numbers guy, always intrigued by the numbers, especially the ones that had dollar signs in front of them. I really was fond of those. Uh, yeah. So got, got a couple of those degrees, uh, ended up kind of learning in the real world that, you know, those degrees don't teach you too much about how to become an entrepreneur financially and like right. the difference between good debt and bad debt assets versus liabilities. It really just teaches you how to, you know, balance somebody else's income statement balance right. sheet. But, but you know that with small business owners and entrepreneurs, usually where they fall short is they don't know their numbers. So knowing, mm -hmm. you know, having a finance background is important, especially yeah. real estate, but yeah. Absolutely. Because, well, a, a profit and loss statement tells you a story. Like it, it's a narrative about the asset. And each right. one of these assets we buy, we'll get into commercial real estate in a second, but we run them like a business. Yeah. You know, yeah. That apartment building is its own little business. Yeah, it's got its marketing, it's got payroll, it's got its income and expenses. So that was very helpful. But got those degrees uh, out of college, took a job at Xerox in sales, okay. Um, okay. not even in the field that I got my degrees, just wanted to control my own destiny, kind of write my own checks, was a commission right. salesman for Xerox selling copiers door to door. Um, tough racket, got my teeth kicked in. Good for experience though, right? Great experience. Yeah. Uh, they have phenomenal sales training. Um, so that's where I, a lot of my background now I do some sales training and coaching and, and negotiations are really important to me too. So, um, out of, out of Xerox, I was kind of bred to climb the corporate ladder and didn't really want to do that. Wasn't my path. So, uh, ended up jumping into real estate investing full-time started in the wholesale fix and flip space, you know, just trying to make some active income, uh, ended up scaling that business up, doing a, quite a bit of deals, but then ultimately, you know, the problem with fixing and flipping is you got to go out and keep, keep, keep doing those. Yeah. There's deals no residual income. That's correct. So that's yeah. when I got into, uh, I started to get into commercial real estate, um, buying and selling mostly apartment complexes. We have some office and some retail, but it is not 90% of my portfolio is, uh, multifamily apartment complexes. And that's my only focus right now is just buying apartments. So you own and manage your own stuff. That's correct. We own and well, we have third-party property managers for all of our complexes, but we right, asset you're subcontracting out that right. Yeah, we asset manage all of our own stuff. And I, I have some LP investments. I'm a big believer in, you know, investing on the LP of people's deals that you like, know, and trust. Um, sure. but I'm also the GP in over 300 units on, on myself um, that we have syndicated. We've done syndications, we've purchased some stuff in-house, uh, done I think five 506B and 506C syndications for some larger properties. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where we're at. So, so what, what attracted you to real estate? How did you kind of, I mean, you were, I mean, I guess what are you going door to door selling copiers and guys like you shouldn't be doing this. You should be buying real estate. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, how did that kind of come about? Well, I think there's some of it in your bio, but nobody's reading your bio. Except it's me. funny. It's funny. You said that because that's ex almost exactly what happened. I was studying successful people while I was at Xerox, um, yeah, good kind of studying their wealth, you know, where, where's their wealth, real wealth, right? Yeah. And um, I actually ended up 
cold calling a guy by the name of Grant Cardone down in Miami. That's where I was selling copiers in South Florida. And I got 15 minutes with him and sat down with him, talked marketing, sales, all, all kinds of stuff. And then at the end, you know, I said I was 23 years old at the time. I said, Grant, if you were me, you know, what would you do knowing what you know now? And he said, if I were if I were you and I had gotten into real estate at your age, I'd be a billionaire by now. And when he said that to me, like something clicked in my mind, like this guy who I'm sitting across from, I know what his financial statement looks like, or at least have an idea of where his wealth is, says that to me, something clicked. And you only, we've all heard that old adage, you only take advice from people who you would be willing to trade places with in that specific area. Yeah, that a lot of people don't do that, but you should do that. Yeah, you should do that, right? right. So that giving me that advice two weeks later, I put I put in my notice and I left cold turkey. Um, just got out, started hammering uh, the real estate stuff. Um, kind of was very scattered in the beginning, chasing a lot of shiny red balls. Got my license, tried to list some commercial stuff. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. In hindsight, I should have gotten a coach or a mentor. Uh, much sooner than I did. I struggled for the better part of a year trying to just figure it out. Uh, but that's when I kind of stumbled into wholesaling and flipping because of that need to make money in the space and then ultimately scaled it up. But yeah, um, I, I cold called Grant at his office, believe it or not, and he told me to jump in. So cold turkey. Um, there you go. Well, you were 23, right? Where you, you, you weren't married, you didn't have kids, you know, you yep. didn't have those, you didn't have responsibilities or a lot of bills probably. So it was something you could take a little bit of more of a risk on, right? A hundred percent. And, yeah. you know, I, my advice of quitting cold Turkey, if you have a W2 is that's not the best advice for everybody, but it is good advice for some. Um, you know, yeah. if you're young, if you're young, take chances, take risks now, you know? Right. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, well, we'll get into how you run the business and the entrepreneurial side of it in a little bit, but okay. a lot, you know, some people listening, know real estate and some people listening, don't. Um, I do know what it is, so I don't, but uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about what wholesaling is and how you learned about it and, and, you know, can people still make money that way? Is it easy to do that kind of stuff? Yeah. So wholesaling real estate is, uh, I learned it on YouTube university when I was getting started, but it's there you go. Of, so you can, it's, it's out there to learn. Oh, it's out there to learn. Yeah. It's yeah. very low barrier to entry because it's that tip. It's the quote unquote, way to make money in real estate when you have no money, like you can actually effectively do it. Uh, what you do is you market for distressed properties or distressed sellers, and then you go and put those properties under contract. And then you assign those contracts to an end buyer that's actually going to end up funding and purchasing the property. And you make the fee in the middle. So your ability to make however much you want on the fees is as good as your ability to negotiate your deals on the front end and get them for as cheap as possible which is what I was very good at doing coming from sales and Xerox. Like I was a people person, very good at tactical empathy, emotional intelligence, understood how to solve people's problems. And you get paid in proportion to the difficulty of the problems that you solve. So if you, you're good at that, right? I could get properties for cheap and then I can sell those contracts. You're essentially selling a piece of paper to an end buyer for a, what's called an assignment fee. And then we've made anywhere from $5,000 to $50,000 assignment fees. It just depends on how good of a deal you get. That's wholesaling. So, so you're really looking to really jump in between the buyer, the ultimate end buyer and the seller before the buyer finds the property. I mean, that's really how you're making your money, right? That's correct. That's how you're making your money. Well, and if you think about it too, you know, finding off-market distressed properties, you have to dig through a lot of dirt and sift through a lot of dirt to get good deals. And the buyers who are fixing and flipping or buying rental properties for buy and hold purposes, 
they honestly don't want to do all that grunt work to find deals. They just want to deal handed to them on a silver platter, right. to be honest with you. Yeah. And in, they're not going to pay a price that doesn't make sense to them. So they don't care if I make 5000 right. or 25000 yeah, exactly. You can't wholesale a deal for 500000 if it's worth four fifty and you paid four fifty for it. Nobody's going to do exactly. that. So yeah. yeah, and the buyers want the deals handed to them on a silver platter. And so the wholesalers who have the energy time to do some grunt work, you know, and when I first got started, I was driving for dollars, which is where you drive around and look for properties that got like right, boarded right. up windows and you handwrite letters. I was putting out the bandit signs. You guys have all seen the We Buy Houses. I was doing all that stuff, um, you know, those first nine months in business. And then ultimately partnered with uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Bill Allen, who we kind of scaled the, he had the marketing and systems done. So he was generating a lot of leads and I had the sales side. So we really scaled the businesses up and ended up doing a couple hundred deals a year um, for wholesale, wholesale, yeah. wholesale deals. Yeah. Yeah. So when you see those signs on a telephone pole that says we buy ugly houses and things like that, those are probably wholesalers. That's correct. Yeah. And they're either looking to build their buyers list or they're looking for sellers to call them. That was actually where I got my first deal. It was a, a little bandit sign. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so it, it's kind of a way to, not a circumvent, but it's kind of a way to get started in real estate without having to get your license to list properties, right? I mean, it's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're in the it's, contract. It's become we're at a, sort of a peak in what I believe in the real estate market. So it has become very saturated over the past four to five years, um, yeah. wholesaling space because everybody kind of knows about it. The words. I believe the words out, but you know, if you have an effective marketing campaign and it takes consistency, there's PPC, cold calling, SEO, direct mail. There's all sorts of ways to generate leads. Yeah, uh, and if you master those KPIs, get those systems processes down, and then have good acquisitions and salespeople, like you know, I know I know companies doing eight figures in wholesale revenue annually. You know, so yeah, it's a good business. So I guess I guess you're looking to build a list of buyers while you get the properties, right? Because this the risk is you go in a contract with this property, then what do you do if you can't have a buyer, right? Mm -hmm. What do yeah, you that's do? why well the language in the contracts is very important. So during your what's called due diligence or inspection period, that's right. your window to find a buyer. So typically have what two weeks in inspection. Two weeks, yeah. If you can't find a buyer in those two weeks, then you have to pull out of the contract to get your earnest ah, money back. Okay. So you pull out before your contingencies are over. That's correct. Everything's refundable in that first two weeks. You know, got it. So okay. it's really a quick, I mean, now I'm not saying get paid in two weeks. You don't, you got to wait for them to close to purchase the property. Right. But yep. it's really a quick in and out, whether you know you got a buyer or not, and then you just drop it and move on to something else. 30 days is typical time frame from contract to getting paid. But yeah, you, yeah, you don't get paid until the buyer closes. Yeah, well, you got to get titled, right? They got to do all the searches. And, and I assume these are people that are buying and going to put money into the property, right? So yeah, they're typically closing with hard money or cash. So, you know, there's those hoops to jump through. And yeah, title. The problem with some of these distressed properties is a lot of them might have liens on them or title yeah, issues. Title's a mess. Right. Yeah, I mean, those are all hurdles that you'll get through. You know. Now you do you you're not doing that work though. The buyers people are doing the title work, clearing up title and stuff. Well, the title you're company, out of the deal. The title company's doing the work, right? But it's um, the buyer's title company, right? I mean, they're the ones that are. You're just no. You're doing all we, that cleanup. We pick the title company because we want to control the transaction. Okay, that's that's saying. that's why you make money as a wholesaler is because you control when you have that A to B contract. Now you control the transaction. If you give it to a B to C and let them handle the title work. You know, that's kind of how things can get a little wonky. 
um, and you can lose control of that transaction. So it's our title company. They know what we're doing. We can either assign it or double close, meaning we can close on the A to B and then the B to C closes simultaneously. Um, there's a couple of ways to do it, but you want to control title. And that's in your contract with the, are you signing a contract with the buy? Oh, it's an assignment. So that's in the assignment, signing the contract to them says, this is what we do. You got to use this and that and we control this. A hundred percent. Yeah. The A to B, we have the A to B contract with the seller and then our assignment agreement is a B to C contract with right. the buyer states, all that stuff. 5k non-refundable deposit, no inspection. Uh, you know, well, it's all only contingent upon us providing clear title as is it's got all that stuff in there. Got it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. People should, you know, they, if they don't control the deal, you get screwed. That's hundred percent. And we have before we, we've gotten screwed in this, in this, instance that like we've had a buyer that has brought a buyer meaning like it wasn't the end buyer and now we're like two rungs removed from the actual right, like a straw buyer it's yeah. called daisy chaining yeah. so like yeah. it happens somebody will take our deal that we have under contract with the seller and send it out to their buyers list and try and add a fee on top of that so they're double wholesale feeing it on top it's called daisy chaining right and you know if they bring a buyer now there's like too many hands in the pot people. There's a lot of there's a lot of hands in the cookie jar. A lot of Do you know that's going on? Did you know that was going on, or you didn't know till later on in the transaction? Uh, most transactions, we know it's going on because we'll we'll vet buyers as they call in, and the, when the offers come in, we'll we'll vet them out. But there's been situations where you know they they try and circumvent. You know, we've had situations where buyers have just walked up to the door of the seller and tried to offer them more money than we had it under contract for, <laughs> and to break your contract. Yeah, I mean, they just walk up and say, "Hey, this is what they're doing. I'll pay you." You know, we have it for one thirty. They they walk up and say, "Hey, I'll pay you one thirty-five. They're trying to sell it for one fifty. But right, and they circumvent your fee. They try and circumvent the fee. Yeah, we've had that happen too. So it's a dog eat dog world out there. But they can't they can't do anything because we have a contract, and our contract allows us to file what's called a notice of interest. So like, if that seller decides to take that offer for one thirty-five. We actually put a lien on their property and they yeah. when they get to the closing table now they're yeah, it's like a list them. pendants notice that you're suing them over the property mm-hmm. or something, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you tie the title. That's very, very that's like less than five percent of the time we have to file a notice of interest. But it's important that people know that that's something that happens in the space. Okay. So how long did you did you do wholesaling? I mean, you still do a little bit of it now or not not really anymore? I got a I have a little wholesaling business that just does a couple of deals a month that's sort of automated with some cold callers, some BAs and stuff. So no, to answer your question, it's not a main business of mine. Um however, I did it uh 2017, 2018, 2019 were three big years of wholesaling. I did over 500 transactions in those three years combined. And then 2019, I bought my first apartment complex, bought six more apartment complexes in 2020. Uh, a few more in 2021 and still ramping up buying in 2022 just being a little more selective these past 12 months with right, our so you built up a little bit of a nest egg and then between that and leverage you're able to now how big are most of the apartment complexes that you buy how many units i've got anywhere from my smallest apartment complex is a 14 unit and the largest one we have in our portfolio right now that that we own on the gp is 93. oh pretty big project yeah we have a 200 and we're over 250 units on a couple lp deals but 93 is the biggest one that we we own that we did a syndication for. And then we have everything in between. So 21, 27, 49, 65, you know, all, all throughout that that range. It's kind of where we live is that uh 20 to 100 units. Got it. And you you said you don't really have a lot of employees. I mean, you're you're subcontracting out the management for the most part, right? You don't have handymen and supers and people running around in trucks 
Not really. No, the property managers typically handle, you know, work orders, maintenance repairs, and handling subs. You know, that's the property manager does that. And we just manage those managers. You just you collect know? the rents and pay everybody. That's correct. Yeah. We just, I mean, you know, the rents go in, they cover the expenses, they cover the debt service, and then whatever's left gets deposited into our account. And then we facilitate investor distributions quarterly, uh, make sure the investors are happy. They get monthly updates, excuse right. me, on all their projects. And then, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So it's it's a lean operation um, because you're leveraging, you know, other people's teams, um, right. you know. And, and I think you told me that not all, you're in Florida, if I remember Nashville, right? Nashville, Tennessee. You're in Tennessee. Oh, right. Nashville. We were talking about Nashville and the sky cranes and everything. Um, yeah. You, you know, but not all your deals are in Nashville, right? You got deals in other parts of the country, right? Five different states we own assets in Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Yeah. So subcontracting out to local people is a much easier way to do it. You have to. Um, you know, we're, we've explored going vertically integrated. We need a few more, uh, a few hundred more units to make it fiscally you know, makes sense. Wise, right. Yeah. For, for us to bring it in-house and vertically integrate the property management. And that's something we'll probably do in the future, but right now it's just, it's going so, so much smoother and we'll take a little bit less. I mean, you pay between six and 10% sometimes on these property management fees off of gross collections, but I mean, 30, 45 minutes a week, I'm spending just managing that manager. I'm not taking phone calls from tenants about toilets, termites. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Right. Of course. Well, plus if you had a, you'd have a multi-state company, you'd be dealing with multiple departments of labor and employee mm-hmm. laws and, and payroll and all that stuff. It probably would cost you more, certainly yeah, be more aggravation, you know, now, now go ahead. go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to say, you know, it, it, you hit the nail on the head. It makes more sense to vertically integrate when a lot of your properties are in uh, closer located. Now for me, if you kill the Florida deals, everything's within a two and a half hour radius from Nashville. That's the way I planned it. Oh, so okay. I like to be able to get to any one of those assets in a car pretty quickly, same day trip, um, which is why I moved from South Florida to Nashville. It's one of those reasons is just to be more centrally located. So huh. Louisville, Kentucky is two hours. Chattanooga, Tennessee is two hours. Huntsville is an hour and a half. You know, Knoxville is two and a half. So right. I can jump in a car and get around that circle. Right. So you, So in theory, you could have a crew of guys that hit the road in a truck every day and, or even live closer to the properties, but still be close enough to you. Yeah. Go to the office one day a week and, and manage. All right. So that, this is, so that was strategic though. Strategic it was strategic. Yeah. yeah. I'm still focused on just growing the portfolio right now, rather than kind of setting that up, but it's in the future. Yeah. Did you ever write a business plan at some point where you were doing this wholesaling, you had the money and you'd see what's going on. Did you ever sit down and write a strategic plan or do you do that on a regular basis to figure out? I mean, you pick Nashville for a reason. So yeah. 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 I mean, I have, you know, I, I have annual meetings for all my companies, quarterly meetings that have, we run it on, we run our businesses on the EOS system. So the entrepreneur uh-huh. That's traction, right? with Gino Wickman. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we have a three-year vision, five-year plan, one-year targets, quarterly yeah, rock. Right. Yeah. Right. We, if you counted that as a business plan, then yeah, but yeah, I do count that as a business plan. A lot of people just wing it. They're like, well, yeah. we have 300 units. We're making money and they're not making money or they're there. Or they could be doing making a lot more money. Yeah. You now know? we, I mean, I, I'll say there is a time to just kind of go and commit and then figure some things out. And then, yeah. you know, there's, there's an aspect of winging it. Like you're not going to know everything. I think a lot of people, they, they wait until they have everything figured out to start. Yeah, it never happens. All the lights don't yeah. turn green before you head to town. You know what? I, the expression. Yeah. yeah, so absolutely. But you have to sit down annually or whatever and kind of reassess 
where you are, you doing right? You know, why did this deal not work? What's going on with this deal? Should we keep this? Should we not? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you, you really do. Cause you have to, for me, it's 90, I work in 90 day segments. Like I'll come up with a, a target, a game plan goals, strategic KPIs that I want to hit. And I put my yeah. head down for 90 days and I just work. And then I'll right. pick my head up after 90 no, days. That's total business plan. That's yeah. Exactly. Works, you know, right. And then call some audibles and make some changes like, Hey, this marketing strategy sucked. It, it totally bombed. We lost 10 grand. Let's change it. But right. a lot of people don't give things long enough time to work. They get, they work for two weeks and they're like, oh, this isn't working. Or they send out one mail campaign, like in a month later, they're like, mail doesn't work. Right. Well, you, haven't, you haven't done it enough. You yeah, know? no. I'm not even sure in some cases if 90 days is enough time, but at least you should reassess. Look, some people go the whole year and then they look back, they're like, what happened? Like what? Because they didn't <laughs> they didn't check in. Yeah. You know, that's what strategic planning is is all about. Why traction is a good is a good system. We used to use it with my old law firm. Um, so my question is, and and I I was on, uh, on an episode with, um, he's going to kill me because I can't remember his name. Um, BKW property solutions. I don't know if you know him, Mm -hmm. uh, O'Neill. Okay. I'll, I'll remember him before we, so I don't don't insult him, but I I, I talked to so many people. I can't forget. I luckily I remember my wife and kids names, but so he, he specializes in, a specific area they buy distressed property, seller-owned financing. You know, they have buyers come in and they help them buy the properties, and they're flipping them and whatever. What got you, you know, into residential units? Basically, I mean, there's a lot of people that shy away from residential apartments and things like that. So, why is that the niche that you're in? What? Why is apartments the niche that I'm in? Yeah. What are three things that people always need? Uh, money. They need shelter. They want money. I don't know if they always need money. Um, yeah. And they need love in their life, I guess. I don't know. Food, water, and shelter. Oh, well, you need, oh, you're putting those together. Okay. I don't want to be, or air, water, and shelter, right. air, food, and shelter, whatever you want to yeah. call it. I, I don't want to be in the water business, food business. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I'm in, I'm in the people need shelter. I mean, they, they, this, this asset class is not going anywhere because people will always, always need a place to live as opposed to and, like an office building where things could move industries could change right so we saw it happen i mean look yeah. look what yeah. happened to look what happened just two years ago to i mean the, the free world got shooken up right and Big multifamily time. multifamily kept uh stability i mean we had some cdc stuff and eviction moratoriums but ultimately like the asset class continued to appreciate where we saw retail buildings just look like ghost towns and office buildings people you know now work from home so um, you know, I, I don't know if the world, people always need a place to live, man. That's what yeah. drew me. I'm not a particularly smart guy. And I, I'm like, I can look at the real estate. I can see it, touch it, feel it. And I know that people need to live. Right. It and made sense to you. Made sense. Yeah. Look, there's some people that don't like apartments because they don't want to deal with the, the fact that tenants need help 24 hours a day sometimes. And they have office buildings and the people go home and they have their cleaning crews come in, they clean the office. But then, yeah. like you said, there's a pandemic shift, which nobody, and I guess some people anticipate, but, and then you're, you're stuck with office buildings when warehousing and other things are hot and where, and offices are not, especially yeah. if you're in a major city. Yeah. Well, and there's phases and there's every, every sector of commercial real estate, which, you know, there's multifamily, there's industrial, there's office and there's retail, right? And they all yeah. come and they all have their own. Well, I'm sure, don't you think apartments in New York city are hurting right now? Kill, they're they're getting murdered because and people are moving out. out. Absolutely, and the 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 states and the laws in those states are very tenant friendly. Yeah, you know, yeah. like here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? 
Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners. Care for your health. Care for the planet and look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. I invest every state that you, you heard me invest is what we call a landlord-friendly state, meaning you know people don't pay their rent. They don't get to stay there. Yeah, uh, That's not the case in some other states. Yeah, Jersey is a... Jersey is a very tough state. I mean, if you don't pay your rent, you you're out. But you know, you got a lot of excuses. Mm-hmm. If you're on a, you know, you want to get a tenant out because you want to change some things in the apartment, you can't just throw them out even if they're even if their lease is expired. If they're paying yeah. their rent, yeah. So I, I I understand that. It's funny. I was just talking to a broker the other day, and he said that they're renting out apartments in the city, and I guess in some of the neighborhoods, you can't get in fast enough. Mm. They'll put the thing on the market in four hours. It's rented. And then there's other parts where it's like a ghost town. So, yeah, we leased five units last week in just one of our buildings. And we've released 13 units in a single month here in Nashville, Tennessee, because everybody's flocking. Everybody's flocking here. Well, how, how do you, why'd you have 13 vacancies? Uh, we bought a building that had weekly rentals and we were uh, okay. uh, we were cycling all the weekly rentals, renters out and putting in annual leases. So we actually had, we turned, uh, that was the 93 unit. We actually turned 85 of the 93 units in the 12 month time frame, which is pretty significant. And when yeah. I say turned, when I say turned, I mean renovated, right? Yeah. New right. LVP flooring, kitchen countertops, vanities, uh, updated everything. And it was it was a weekly rental. It's like a motel, basically. It's like a flop house. Well, the guy was running it as a flop house. You know, it was a lot of drug activity, uh, prostitution coming out of that building. We and we've turned that whole community around and. People come into our office. We have an office at the building. Yeah. Um, and we have a full-time staffer there. And people go in and just on a daily basis thank us for what we did over that property. So, you know, we, we were just talking about tenants and getting them out. Like this business, 
it's great to make money, but we're actually making these communities better places to live in. We're cleaning them up. We're making the units nicer places to live. We're adding amenities like dog parks and uh, that pool that we bought hadn't been opened in four years and we renovated the pool and now people are spending their time out there and there's a grilling area. And so, you know, it's, it's not just about making money because the money is a result of, and being able to raise rents and force appreciation and do what's so sexy about this business comes sure. from making it a nice place. Right, right. Of course. Right. So Drives people want to pay, pay more to live there. Yeah. Now so. w- was that, was the neighborhood distressed or just the building? Because I would think it'd be risky not mm-hmm. that you shouldn't take risk, but you know, to go into a neighborhood that's distressed with a distressed building, knowing that you were going to renovate it and get convinced people to live there, was that, was yeah, that you, the way it was? You gotta you gotta be careful to do your market research because if you go buy a D class building, like and you think that you're gonna renovate a D class building and it's in a D class area, you ain't gonna you know, you're gonna yeah, lose the people want to pay can pay the rent, don't want to live there. Right? Yeah, you're gonna lose your shirt. So yeah. no, that was a it was a C building and a B area, Got which it. is what we look for. You know, you right. look for that that value add component to a deal. Yeah, you want to be the worst building on the street in a decent neighborhood where people go, oh, well, I can get some value there and a live. Okay. Yeah. Well, that well, that makes sense. I mean, that's strategic about it. And, and we own a build, you know, we own a building in Louisville, Kentucky. Like it is the roughest street. And we own like almost all of the street. It's a like some quads and some eight plexes and some 12 units. And that's like a 16 and a 20. And we own most of the street. Um, and the street was really, really rough when we bought it. And we've, we painted the buildings, kind of changed the narrative of the street, but it was right behind a country club with half a million dollar houses, like right behind right. A, a nice, a very nice country club with a beautiful, like, and then right down the street was a Starbucks and a Chick-fil-A and a Publix. So you look for those kind of indicators, like let the big market companies like the Publixes and the Kroger's do your homework for you. So right, when you're doing right. demographic searches on where you should go, like when I'm driving a property, I'm always like, where's my Kroger? Like, right. I exactly. Because Kroger they did close. the work. They know the demographics. They know the demographics. And right. it's very similar to the demographics where you want to be. Like, you know, if there's a Chipotle yeah. and a Chick-fil-A and a Starbucks on the corner adjacent, you're probably in a good up and coming area um, that's got good growth factors. Of course. Yeah. So you buy Cannery Row, but it's next to the nice neighborhood and you just have to change Cannery Row. You don't have to change the rest of the neighborhood. And that's I, it. I you don't want to live there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oops. Um, what are my other questions? You just made me think of something. I, I think that um, when it comes to you know, picking real estate and making those decisions, how do you source you know, deals from a business standpoint? Like, How do you find them? How do you review them? That's the million dollar question. Yeah. How I'm not saying everybody's going to learn that right here, but maybe they'll learn a little bit about what your, what your thoughts <laughs> so, are. It's a very yeah. hard thing to do. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, you know, finding deals right now is probably the toughest part of single family residential and multifamily commercial, any commercial is finding good deals. Um, right. Money's out there for this stuff. It's about finding the good, good properties. There's two ways to find them. One is broker relationships and two is direct to seller marketing. We do both. Um, Broker relationships take time to cultivate. Um, you know, you need to be making offers, touring properties to build relationships with brokers. Um, you know, ultimately, right now, everything, in my opinion, is 10, 15% overpriced. Brokers know that they can sort of list stuff and just get these crazy numbers. Yeah. Uh, they're doing the dog and pony show on every, you know, property where they tour everybody in, do a round of highest and best. And, 
you know, there's not too many, in my opinion, like off market listings from brokers. You know, you get a few, but most of them are hitting the market. Right. So well, they, they want to sell their commissions tied to what they sell. So they want to sell as high as they can. Can't, of course, that can't, makes sense. Can't blame them. Right. You know, we just listed a property. Yeah, in a more of a distressed, depressed market, brokers probably are a good place people to go to, right? hundred percent. I mean, yeah. we just listed one of our assets for, you know, we had a we had an offer for 4.1 million pre-listing. And we just we went out to the market at 4.6. I'm like, I'm not going to take the 4.1 million dollar. I'm going to go see what the market will fetch. Right. Um, you know, because that's the ultimate way. So and then we do we do direct to seller. Uh, marketing to find these deals too. So we'll do, you know, some email campaigns, some text campaigns, followed by some cold calling and some direct mail um, with some very nice lettering. And, uh, you know, it's got different language because you're not looking for distress like we were in single family. Because when we were wholesaling, like you're looking for the people who are the house is in disrepair or the sellers are going through a divorce or something happened where they're in stress. It doesn't exist in commercial, if I'm being honest with you. I, I, at least I haven't found it. I've I've found some motivation for sure, but there's nobody out here fire selling these things at 50, 60 cents on the dollar. Uh, you know, you have to know how to underwrite deals. Um, you know, your second question was how do you evaluate them? Yeah, so you have to yeah. be very good at underwriting and reading the numbers and reading the narrative, um, understanding where the value add component is, because a lot of people think, hey, you just have to be able to raise the rents. Well. You don't because if you can decrease the expenses, you know the the name of the game is raising your net operating income, which is right. your income minus your expenses. So you can, right? it's what you keep. So if you right. can increase your decrease your expenses to increase your income, you know there's a multiplier effect where you know you throw a hundred thousand dollars to the net operating income by decreasing expenses, like you've increased the value of your building a couple million bucks. Of course. So, yeah, and what 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 works for one guy might not work for the other guy. You might have a building that's relatively close to that other building. And you say, you know what, my super is not full time busy. I can get rid of the super in this building for fifty, sixty thousand a year. They're paying them, and have this guy handle both buildings mm-hmm. and save money. Yeah. So there's a lot of, the, or your financing is better, or your cash yeah. position is better. You know, your cost of money's lower. I've seen guys do deals that other guys were like, I'll never do that deal. To him, yeah. it made sense because it was able to. His cap rate was different. Sure, I mean, and there's so many factors. That's why. You know, we could we could talk for three days just on underwriting because there's so many different levers that you can turn right. to adjust your internal rate of return, your average annual returns, and your cash on cash returns. There's so many levers within the the financial statement of these properties that you have to kind of know which levers move which dials. Right. So that like your cap rate on your exit is a big driver of your return. So if my cap rate goes from a six cap to a five point five cap. Now my returns have just jumped up probably a couple hundred bips because you know that lever is very very powerful because it's a multiplier, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So price doesn't always drive the deal. No, I mean your price is determined by the income you produce. So, right. like, just as an example, that property we we're talking about, they were doing weekly renters, so they had three maintenance guys on staff because there was so much turnover. turnover right. We immediately fired two of the maintenance guys and threw a hundred thousand dollars to the. To the bottom line, and that market is a five cap. So, hundred thousand divided by a five cap, um, divided by 0.05, I should know this off the top of my head, is two million dollars. So, our building immediately went from eight point five million where we bought it to ten point five million in value, right um, overnight. Um, and we've done a lot of other things and made that building worth a lot more money. But that's just an example of what you can do to these things, and that's the power of, you know, forced appreciation. 
Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just the structure of the deal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then we do syndication. So, you, you know, you split, okay. split the deal up with your investors and you give them 60 to 70% of the equity. Um, they usually get a preferred return for, for funding the deal. So you as the GP or the general partner, the person controlling and managing the asset typically can hold on to anywhere from 30 to 50%, um, depending on how good the deal is, as long as you're taking care of your investors. But we take care of our lenders, we take care of our investors, we take care of the property, and then we take care of ourselves. How do you find your investors? Uh, Mark, just talk, talking about what we're doing. Um, so I, you know, in, in all transparency, I don't wear every hat. Like I have a business partner, not, right? Yeah. I have a, I have a COO and a, okay. a CFO and like the, the guy, Bill Allen is all he's doing is raising money. He's constantly just raising capital, Got building it. relationships to raise capital. Um, I'm out finding deals, hunting. That's kind of my role. That's what I'm good at. And, uh, but he's, you know, constantly talking about what he's doing. And the cool thing about raising money, especially in real estate is, you know, you're not asking anybody for money. You're just providing an opportunity. Like, right. Especially right now, people need vehicles that are trying to outrun inflation, almost impossible right now, but they need vehicles for capital preservation and multiplication effects and the depreciation on their taxes. So, you know, we're providing an opportunity and uh, raising money is um, it's tough work because people have to trust, you know, the, the GP side of it. Uh, but it is, um, you know, it's an easy sell because the asset class kind of sells itself, right? Right, right, right. Well, there's some people that only passively invest in real estate, right? They just, they don't want to be involved with what you do. They want to just give you money if you have a good track record and they'll review deal by deal. And that's it. I met a guy, um, Josh McCallan, uh, through another podcast I was on. Um, there's a friend of mine who has a studio down in Trenton and Josh has an interesting company. They they buy distressed uh, vacation properties, so they'll buy a vineyard or you know some sort of and and they're all drivable things. So you're not, which obviously benefited them during the pandemic, right? Because nobody was leaving the country. People wanted places they could drive to, and they do them all on a GP syndicate basis. Yeah, so they have a they have a you know um, they do a partnership. You get equity in the partnership. You get your money back, and even when you get your money back, you still hold equity in the partnership. Um, and their returns have been, you know, significant because they're they become a hospitality business. I yeah. think the guys that are successful, I I like your opinion on this, but I think the guys in your business, and I use the real estate investment business, that are successful pick their lane. They pick what they become good at, what makes sense to them, and they specialize in focusing on that. They you know, the one or two deals they end up grabbing an office building because they think it's a good deal doesn't do well because it's not what they do. Yeah, it's you out know? of their yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and I, I, you know, I invest in a lot of LPs too because I, I am, the goal is passive income. So whichever way you get there, it, it doesn't matter, you know. Right. Um, well, you're not picking and running that deal. You're doing it with guys who know that side of the real estate business. I mean, yeah, I've only, of all the LPs that I've invested in, I've only invested with two different sponsors. You know, so I'm very selective with who I invest with and you need to look at their track record because, um, how do I want to say this? Uh, you know, there, there's, uh, there are things out there like crowd, crowd rise and fun rise and crowd. Yeah, they do it for real estate deals too, right? They do. And somebody yeah. can put a thousand dollars into this and then the portfolio owns 5,000 units. And now that person is going around saying they own 5,000 units. You have right. to be very careful with who you invest your money with, because 
a bad sponsor can take a good deal and screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. it could be, it could be the best deal in the world, but if the person doesn't know how to run it, you're going to lose your, you're going to lose your shirt as the yeah. passive investor. Yeah. And you said it like LPs, they are silent partners. So, um, you're honestly just going to watch the ship take on water if uh, if you don't know if that GP has a good track record. So be careful when you're investing in. Yeah, do your due diligence research. Nowadays with the internet, you should be able to yeah, do a lot look of research. Make sure he's not in three states. Most of them should have, yeah, make sure they're not wanted. And most <laughs> people, you know, they'll do a webinar and they'll, you'll be, you should be able to ask questions. So asking them, you know, how many they've entered, how many they've exited, what's their track record, what are the returns on the projects that they have completed, those kinds of questions need to be answered um, before you wire fifty, a hundred thousand dollars over to a deal. Got it. Were you ever in the you mentioned flips before? Were you ever doing fix and flips? Yeah. Grabbing yeah, stuff, flipping them. We would we would cherry pick the the big deals, like the ones that had six figure profits on them for sure. Um, we would close with hard money and just and flip. Uh, but we liked. I didn't do anything over a forty thousand dollars renovation. Like I wasn't doing gut job, gut jobs. It was just like if we had a cookie cutter, three bedroom, two bath paint, that just paint needs some the place, paint. Right? Yeah, it's called a whole tail, where you just kind of put some lipstick on a pig and throw it on the market. Um, we would take. Comment. Is that a southern thing? Lipstick on a pig. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's, <laughs> That's pretty funny. I I, I connected with uh, this guy Mike Simmons. I know. I don't know if you know Mike. He's the, yeah. you know Mike. Great guy. I know did, did we talk about him last time? Tyler Jensen, he does a lot of flips. Yeah, they, they both are big players. They're yeah, part of yeah. the seven-figure flipping, which is the master. Right, right, seven, right. Yeah. And he did like yeah. – Jensen did like a – Seven-day flip. Something, I think they did four units like at the same time. Four I mean, houses. it wasn't flipped like in seven days. It wasn't sold, but it was ready. To, it was back on the market seven yes. days, and I think they closed a couple of weeks thereafter. Yeah, Crazy. they did. Like They did one. And then he's like, well, could we do four? And I'm like, you're yeah. going to do four flips in seven days. And they did it. They pulled yeah. it off. Right. Well, cool. I mean, you, you you can't just like sign a contract. Get, so you got to have some things arranged ahead of time. You certainly have to have inspections arranged ahead of time with the town because you're going to need that stuff if you're doing renovations. Painting yeah. is one thing. I understand. But if you're renovating, yeah. you're going to need inspections. I think if I remember correctly, what they did was they got a big trailer, like a big trailer thing. And they lined up all the materials and they came up with an order of where they wanted to do it. And then they lined the materials up in the trailer. So all the subs just came in, the flooring right. sub came in, then the trim, then and then they just kind of worked their way back. Yeah, boom, 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 boom. And then it was all done. It was done. Yeah. Was brilliant. I mean, I guess it's more of a novelty and fun. I know I'm sure you know, he said he made money on it, but it was more the, I think, the challenge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's, cool. it's a cool story. But yeah, he's, I mean, he's a lot younger than us, though, I think, right? He's, you're younger than me. He's younger than you, I think, isn't he? I think Jensen's a young, yeah, he's a young guy. I think he's in yeah. his late twenties, maybe. Yeah, yeah I think he is under 30. Yeah. So I've met yeah. some really cool guys in, in, in your business just from networking because of the podcast. I met a guy out of Hawaii, Lane, you know, Lane Kiawaka. I'm probably no. that's his name wrong. I think he's in California now, but he was in Hawaii for a while. He's a big passive income guy. Like he, they don't, a lot of his groups he puts together, they're not, you know, managing things and stuff. And, but he's got a whole, right. You know, you can join his mastermind group and you learn from him and you follow just like everybody. I think Mike does that too. Well, seven figure flipping is like that. Do you mentor or anything with, with other guys? Do you? Yeah, we, we got a mastermind group too. But it's a, it's, it's not like you don't have a website where people are buying tapes and videos, right? Or do no, you, we don't that, do any courses. It's a, it's a high ticket, you know, it's a private, you know, yeah, high you know. ticket private. We teach people how to buy them, how to run them the right way. 
Um, and what's cool about the group is, you know, there's a lot of deals that are done internally because people want to, and now, now everybody right, trusts, right. everybody trusts the people in there because yeah. the mentorship, they know that they trust. So there's a lot of deals that are being done, you know, within partnerships or kind of forming because some people are good at underwriting and other, other people are good at deal sourcing and broker relationships. So there's like, it's, it's really powerful. And you know, the power of a mastermind group. I mean, when you just yeah. get a bunch of people that are all kind of rowing in the same direction in a room together, things just start to spark. Whereas, you know, being an entrepreneur can feel like you're on an island a lot of times. And yeah, it's no, better to I, do look, it I'm it. a big advocate of advisory boards, mentoring groups, you know, mastermind clubs. And, you know, you bring it's like the poker game that you need to be invited to that's in the back room of the casino. You know, you don't know yeah. about it. And and that's that's true. I mean, that's where, you know, but look, if somebody gives you a break or you, you meet somebody and you start learning about this stuff. That's when it becomes it can become a, a business or, you know, something that's full time. Yeah. And you got to, um, you know, I was always a big believer, just deliver value first. So if you're going into the room, like make sure you're not going in looking what you can take, but what you can give first agree, and, yeah. and go deliver value to somebody like, and if you don't have the money to join a mastermind, if you don't have the 10, 15, 20,000, like what good mastermind and mentorship costs, like go see if you can deliver value to that person, go work for free, go do something just to get in the room. Because yeah, that's yeah. one of my biggest regrets early on was like, I didn't pay or like get in the room with the right people. And I was just out on my island trying to reinvent the wheel and the blueprints there, especially in real estate, like the blueprint hasn't changed. It's there. Um, you just got to go find the people that are doing it and just take the blueprint and go do it yourself. Yeah, I agree. I think you always want to be on, what did they say? The long end of the giving stick, meaning you're always, if, if you're always ahead of the giving, it comes back to you in spades. It doesn't have to be, I mean, I think people are short-sighted. Yeah. Come said, oh, I, I was in that group. I didn't get anything from it. It's, did you give anything? Not really. Well, there you go. It's yeah. the people that are that get into the group and they never even post on post in the group or like, and then they're the ones that fall off. And, it, you know, a mastermind group is a tool and a tool is only as good as the person who's using the tool. <laughs> if you don't right. use it, you know, if yeah. you're not active and watching the videos and you, you're not going to get anything out of it. And there's a lot of people that join coaching and mentorship expecting for that person to do the work. Right. And that's a mistake. Um, and we've, you know, we've let people out of our group for that reason. You know, they come in thinking that we're going to buy them apartment complexes. Like that's not how it works. Like, we're just, yeah. We're just like, we're lighthouses. We're not tugboats. Like I'm not going to come out to the ocean and tug you in. I'm just going to, I'm a lighthouse. I'm just going to show you kind of where to go. Right. But, uh, people are funny when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. 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 No. Well, look, I, um, I think that uh, when it comes to what's going on in the world right now, you know, I, I always say like money during the pandemic, money didn't disappear. It just shifted around. So, you know, it's not like there's people that don't need housing. They just might be living in a different place than they were living before. Mm. And it's really up to you to kind of find those places. I mean, look, you're in one of the hottest markets right now in the country in terms of building and, and growth. And, um, you know, to a certain extent, yeah. if you're a local Nashville person, you're probably not too happy about it. Um, but I, I find that ironic. A lot of the local people there, my parents had a house, they sold it recently, but they had a house upstate New York and it's, uh, you know, the Catskills fairly depressed area. It's not as much of it was way back in the fifties mm -hmm. and stuff because people fly and they go places and stuff. Well, they want to bring gambling up there. They want to bring the local people. You'd think it was like taking money away from them. <laughs> it's yeah. get a nothing but increase their property values, bring up tourism for their stores and their, and their shops and things like and they, they don't want to hear about it. And they all vote it down all the time. It still yeah. hasn't come to the uh, upstate New York. It probably will at some point. 
but you yeah. know, people are short-sighted when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, yeah, but people need to be paying. I mean, I know we're, I know we're kind of gliding into the close here, but people need to, you mentioned money and the great shift of wealth. People really need to be paying attention to what's going on in the financial markets and, and what's going on with their money. Because if it's sitting in a savings account, it's just, it is getting completely destroyed more now yeah. than ever. Like you have to get your capital out working for you. Um, like, I don't know. And I'm not telling people to invest in multifamily, but I am telling people to get their money out working for them and trying to, you know, beat inflation and, and it needs to be multiplying for you because if you're constantly trading your time for money, you'll work forever. You have to, at some point, get your money to work for you. Um, The vehicle that we choose is apartments. You can choose whatever vehicles you want, but I would encourage everybody to just, right. And rates are creeping up. And sometimes those make, I have a guy looking at, he's in contract on a multifamily unit. And if we miss the next lock-in, because there's a tank, there's issues, there's estate issues, it was owned by a family. If we miss the next lock-in, the rate goes up 150 basis points, one and a half percent, which may not make the deal work for him. Kills the deal. Yeah, it kills the deal. Might depending kill. on the size, depending on the size of the, the loan. I mean, that's detrimental to the deal. And we've already seen interest rates starting to hike, and it's usually followed by a little bit of a correction. So yeah, you know, I'd be careful if you're buying any type of real estate, you know, just I'm not doing any crazy value add deals right now with these 18 to 24 month refis that were really popular a few years ago. Like just be careful with what you're buying long-term, get long-term fixed rate debt on yeah. everything you can. Yeah. Cause you know, uh, might not be able to refine 24 months, right? Yeah. And, or if you're, if, if your strategy only works with a two-year refi and the market does go down and now your, your, your numbers only penciled, you're screwed. Right. <laughs> you're screwed. So make sure your cash flow can carry you through a market trough and you have long-term debt and just be smart about what you're buying and uh, pair it up with the market cycle that we're in. Cause I believe we're at a peak. All right. Well then I don't have to ask you what advice you have for people. Cause you just gave it to them. That's good. So what's the best way for people to learn about you, interact with you. We'll put links in the show notes. Should they connect with you on LinkedIn or. Yeah. I'm a, I, I share a little bit more of my personal life on Instagram at Mr. Chad okay. King. And then I'm on Facebook at Chad King. If you guys want to follow kind of my, that's more of my business page with a lot of the multifamily stuff you'll see. Um, I own a mastermind group called seven figure multifamily. Okay. Uh, we're doing an event here in June in Nashville called multifamily live event.com. Uh, if you want to check out our event that we're doing in person, uh, it's at the Gaylord. It's going to be 500 other real in estate. June, said? In room. June 2nd, 3rd and 4th. Okay, um, great. Why it's going to be a really, really cool event. And uh, yeah. And then the, the mastermind group, if you want to check it out, but that's where you can find me. And I'm always posting stuff about those, those, uh, those groups. So come, come connect with me. Love to share. Ted, I appreciate it. And thanks for joining me on the show. Of course. Had a great time, Mitch. Thanks for having me. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple podcasts, on Google podcasts, on Amazon music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.